Thank you for listening in to this podcast from Valley View Church. Acts 16, verse 22 through verse 34. I want you to listen to it. The Roman officials ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped of their garments and beaten with rods on their bare backs. I'm reading the Passion Translation. After they were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. So the jailer placed them in the innermost cell of the prison and had their feet bound and chained. Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. Suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundation of the prison. All at once every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. Startled, the jailer awoke and saw every cell door standing open, assuming that all the prisoners had escaped. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself when Paul shouted in the darkness, Stop! Don't hurt yourself. We are all still here. The jailer called for a light. When he saw that they were still in the cells, he rushed in and fell trembling at their feet. Then he led Paul and Silas outside and asked, What must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your family. Then they prophesied the word of the Lord over him and all his family. Even though, even though the hour was late, he washed their wounds. Then he and all of his family were baptized. He took Paul and Silas into his home and set them at his table and fed them. The jailer and all his family were filled with joy in their newfound newfound faith in God. I want to share with you for a few moments this morning, and somebody's got to hear this. Somebody needs to hear the beginning statement, and then you need to hear the rest. My thought today is this. Zoom out and look again. Zoom out and look again. God, let your word go forth this morning, and let it speak to every heart and every life. And may your will be accomplished in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Zoom out and look again. I want to begin this morning by saying this to you. Your focus determines your outcome. What you focus upon and what you lock into and you give your greatest attention to will determine the outcome of where you are and where you will find yourself in life. How we feel is not determined by objective circumstances. How we feel is determined by our subjective focus. Now let me read that again. How we feel is not determined by objective circumstances. How we feel is determined by our subjective focus. In other words, what we focus on will also determine how we feel and how it will help set our attitude and our emotions and everything about our life. Here's another way of saying it. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. Did you hear that? Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. John Milton said it like this. The mind, excuse me, 
The mind is its own place. And in itself can make a heaven out of hell, a hell out of heaven. Now when you hear, <coughs> excuse me, when you hear that statement, that may sound strange. But in a lot of ways, that statement is very true. What do you mean? The mind can set the stage of the surroundings and the settings and where you find yourself. All of us know people who can find something good to focus on even in the worst of circumstances. Everybody in this room, you know somebody that can find good things in the middle of bad situations. And at the same time, all of us know someone who can find something bad to focus on even in the best of circumstances. I've seen both kinds. I've met both kinds. I've been around both kinds. And I just want to tell you, we need to come to the place where we can find good things in the midst of wherever we find ourselves. There is a uni <coughs> excuse me. There is a universal principle, and I want you to listen to it. There's a universal principle I need to share with you this morning right out of the gate, and it is this. We tend to see what we are looking for. Amen. We tend to see what we are looking for. Why? Because we put our greatest focus upon it. I think there's two basic kinds of people in this world. And I want you to listen to me very closely. This is important. There's two basic kinds of people in this world. There's all different kind of categories you can put people in today. But these two I want you to look at very closely and they are this. They are complainers and they are worshipers. Amen. There are those who spend most of their time complaining, and then there are those who spend most of their time worshiping. Complainers can always find something to complain about. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? Have you ever been around those kind of people? But can I tell you on the flip side, worshipers can always find something to praise God about. Oh, give him a hand in here. Worshippers can always find something to praise God about. Amen. In other words, they may be going through the toughest trial they've ever walked through, but they can still praise God. They may be going through a hard battle that they've never faced, but they can still praise God. They may be dealing with something like they've never seen before in their life, but they can still praise God. Now, here's the reality about every one of us in this room. We all develop hypotheses about everything all the time. Then we look for evidence to support the hypothesis and ignore evidence to the contrary. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you decide you do not like somebody, you will notice everything about that person you don't like. Amen? If you ever decide you don't like somebody, you'll find everything that's wrong in their life. You'll find everything wrong about them. You pick everything apart about them. And you will probably ignore anything that you could potentially like about them. Why? Because you don't like them. And I want you to listen. The flip side is true as well. If you head over heels in love with someone, you tend to only notice those things you love about them. Ooh, Ashley can't find nothing wrong with me. You notice I looked that way when I said it. 
But when you're head over heels in love with somebody, you can't find anything wrong with them. You know why? Because you're focused on what you like. You're focused on what you love. You know why you do it on the other side when you don't like somebody? Because you don't give them a chance to like them. All you know is there's something about them you don't like, and you're going to find every detail, everything you can that will make you not like them more. What does it go back to? We see what we want to see. We see what we are looking for. We see what we focus in on. All right, I mentioned earlier complainers, and that's what we talked about. But then I told you there's another kind of group of people, and it's called worshipers. So what does this have to do with worship? What does this have to do with worshiping God? Listen, a worshiper makes a predecision to look for something to praise God about, even in the worst of circumstances. I heard Colin talking earlier as he was receiving the offering when he was talking about this Second wave of coronavirus. Talking about this second wave and how they're looking at these certain things and and trying to make things sound like they're getting worse and worse and worse. But I want to just stop and tell you something. You can focus on that and you can get depressed and you can get down and you can get out and you can get discouraged and you can get all kind of things in your life or you can get your mind set upon the Lord and begin to worship and praise God in the midst of where we may be living and can I tell you, when you begin to worship the Lord and you begin to praise God, not only will He put a protective hand upon you, not only will He he take care of you, He will give you joy and He will give you peace and He will give you purpose in the midst of where you are. Now notice, if you will, they always look for a worshiper tries to find something to praise God about, even in the worst circumstances. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul and Silas. Paul cast a demon out of a fortune teller. And her masters, because of her loss of ability to be a fortune teller, were upset, and thereby Paul and Silas were cast into a prison in Philippi. And I want you to notice something. All these men were doing was following the will of God. All they were doing was what God had sent them there to do. And when they delivered this young girl or this lady from this fortune-telling ability, a mob quickly formed against them. And the city officials ordered that they were stripped and they were beaten with wooden rods. And then the Bible said that once they were beaten with rods, they were thrown into a prison. And the jailer was instructed not to let them be able to get loose. So he puts them in the inner prison in stocks and bonds. Now, don't you listen to this. One of the lowest places they could ever find themselves, and I'm going to speak for myself. I've had a lot of bad days, but I ain't never had a bad day like that. I've had a lot of bad days in my lifetime, but I ain't never had to face anything like that. But if I'm Paul or if I'm Silas, I would emotionally and physically and spiritually be spent in that moment. If I had been one of them, I would be drained to the last drop. I would feel like I had nothing else left. Why is it, Pastor? Because their backs are bleeding. They're black and they're blue all over and to top it off. They're in maximum security in stocks and bonds. And why are they there? All because they obey God. Whew. That's a tough one right there, ain't it? Somebody said, well, if that's where I wind up for obeying God, I don't know if I'm obeying him or not. Oh, yes, you do. 
Because I promise you, you wouldn't want the other side of it. Amen? Amen? But I want you to notice something. All because they were following the will of the Lord. But listen, it just doesn't get much worse than that. But that's what makes the next verse so amazing. It doesn't get much tougher than where they were in that moment. But that's what makes verse 25 so amazing. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. Amen? Somebody said amen. Shame on you. No. In verse 25 it said, Around midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang songs of praise to God. And the other prisoners began to listen in and they heard them rejoicing in the Lord. That's what makes that verse so amazing. In the moment when you would feel like they would just lay down and die, the Bible said they were throwing up their hands, they were lifting up their voices, they were worshiping, glorifying, and magnifying the name of the Lord. When the devil thought he had them out, they got up. When the devil made them think, or devil thought it was over, they said, we're just getting started. You see, things are not always as they seem. Things are not always as they appear. But I want you to notice, somebody says, well, how could they do this, Pastor? How could they be in that position? How many times have we heard this story in our lifetime? But how could they do something like this? How could they overcome something like that? How could they rise up in a moment like that? Let me share something with you that I've learned from personal experience, and it is this. When I get into a spiritual and emotional slump, and I get into a place where I just feel so heavy laden and down. Usually it's because I zoomed in on some kind of problem somewhere. Usually it's because I got focused on something somewhere and I've zoomed in on a problem and that problem has weighed heavy on my mind. It's got heavy in my spirit and it's got heavy on me physically. And it has weighted me down. And in those moments, I find myself fixating on something that is wrong. I find myself focusing on the wrong thing in that moment. Here's what I want you to hear, and I want you to listen to this very, very closely. Nine times out of ten, the solution for it is just zooming out, stepping back, and taking a fresh look. Sometimes we get so locked into something, whether whether it's a problem, whether it's a circumstance, a family member, whatever it might be in our life, we get so zoomed in, it gets so heavy laden on us, and it brings us down to the point that it doesn't just affect us spiritually, it affects us physically, and it will literally make us sick and get us down. Because we become so zoomed in, we become so focused in on it. Sometimes you got to step back, you got to zoom out for a little bit, and you got to get a new focus, and you got to take a new look at the situation in your life. And that's something that I personally have learned myself. And I want you to notice I've learned that when I zoom out, I can get some new perspective on the matter that I'm facing. I can get some new perspective on what I'm looking at or dealing with. And I want you to hear this. Sometimes you got to zoom out and look at the big picture. The enemy wants to get you focused on one little thing. 
He wants to get you focused on one certain thing, and you can't get your attention beyond it. You can't get your attention past it. It's all you see. It's all you think about. It's all you eat, sleep. It's all you dream about. And God sent me by to tell somebody this morning, you need to step back and zoom out. And you need to look at the big picture and stop looking at one little thing in your life or one certain place in your life and start looking at the big picture. Because here's what happens when you're looking at the little thing and you're looking at the certain thing and the problem and it's all you see. All you can see is what's wrong. All you can see is what's going wrong. But when you step back and look at the big picture, you can see the hand of God as it's working in your life and it's working on your behalf and it's moving in your favor but you can't see that when you're so locked in you can't see that when you're so focused in so somebody said okay pastor how do I zoom out easier said than done huh how do I zoom out let me give you a one word answer How do I zoom out of my problem? How do I zoom out of what I'm dealing with? How do I zoom out of what I'm focusing on? I have a one-word answer for you, and that word is worship. That word is worship. What do you mean? Worshiping is taking our eyes off our external circumstances and focusing on God himself. Amen. When you stop looking at everything in your life and you start looking at God, then your perspective will change, your outlook will change, and everything about what you're dealing with will change. I want somebody to listen to me because what I've gone through the last two days to get this to you, I hope you're listening to me very closely this morning. God wants you to understand that sometimes you got to zoom out so you can take a fresh look and look again. When we zoom out and we take our focus off our circumstance and we focus on God, we stop focusing on what's wrong with us. We stop focusing on what's wrong with our circumstances. We start focusing on what's right with God. Amen? We start focusing on what's right with God. When's the last time you really looked at what's right with God? Think about it for a moment. I'm talking to, I ain't just talking to one person in the room. I'm probably talking to 95 to 98% of the people sitting on these pews right now. I'm talking to them. We become so focused on everything that's wrong, we can't see God, even though we try. We become so focused on every circumstance in our life, we can't see God, James, even though we try. But when we come to the place that we can step back and zoom out and we start looking at the big picture and we start seeing the hand of God, then we start begin, we begin to see what's right with the Lord and how God is moving in our life. That's when things begin to change. Let me take you back for a moment. Paul and Silas could have zoomed in and complained about where they were. I want you to listen to this. A little different version than what we read in the Bible. But they could have looked on and said, God, we've cast out demons. And what did we get? God, we laid hands on that girl. She got to live. What did we get? They could have looked at God and said, we're on a missionary journey. And we get beaten and thrown in jail. They could have looked up at God and said, God, instead of of you watching our backs, our backs are bleeding. They 
they could have made those kind of statements to God. David, they could have said that to the Lord. But they made a choice, Chris. They made a choice not to tell God all the complaining things. They made a choice to worship God in the midst of extreme circumstances that they found themselves in. Oh, yeah, they could have said the things I told you. They could have spoke those words to God. But I want you to understand, they were so in love with God. They wasn't thinking about the bleeding of their backs. They wasn't thinking about the pain and the agony they'd gone through and even what they were feeling. All they could think about was, God, to all be for your glory, to all be for your honor, for, to all be for your praise. And I tell you, you want to talk about worship for a little bit this morning here. Here's what worship does. Worship, it will restore your spiritual equilibrium. It helps you regain your perspective. It enables you to find something right to praise God about even though everything's going wrong. This worship team gets up here every Sunday and gives 150% of themselves to lead us into worship every given Sunday. But every one of us have a decision to make when we walk through the door. Are we going to worship God or are we just going to stand back on God? Are we going to worship God or are we just going to hold back on God today? Well, I, got, I, I just got to say this. If you hold back on God, it's not the worship team's fault. They're giving it their all. It's not the musician's fault. They're giving it their all. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. But what I want you to understand, God is calling us into that place of worship where we worship the Lord to a point and a place that it gives us a new perspective in our life and it helps us to see things in a little bit different way. Listen, worship is zooming out and refocusing on the big picture. Remember what I said a while ago? Sometimes you got to zoom out and look at the big picture. Worship is zooming out and refocusing on the big picture. What do you mean, Pastor? It refocuses on the fact. It helps us to refocus on the fact that Jesus died on the cross and that he shed his last blood for us. Worship helps us refocus on the fact that God loves me and loves you in spite of the fact that we didn't deserve it. He loved us anyway. It helps us to refocus on the fact that God is going to get me or get us where we need to be. It helps us to refocus on the fact that we have an eternity with God to look forward to in a place where there will be no sickness, no sin, or no sorrow. In this world, we have to deal with sickness. In this world, we have to deal with sin. In this world, we have to deal with sorrow. But I want to tell you something. Worship will help us refocus on the fact that one day we're going to be in a place with God where there will be no more of these things, and we'll be with God in His presence and His glory forever and forever and forever. Amen. Worship is refocusing on the fundamentals of our faith. Listen to this. Here's what happens. God restores joy to our salvation when we worship. Next time you come to church and you feel down and out and you feel heavy laden and you feel doom and gloom and you feel like you're on the bottom, let me tell you what you need to do, worship. Next time you come to church and you feel like everything but being in the house of God, you need to worship. 
Next time you come to church and everything's gone wrong trying to get there, you need to worship. Next time you come to church and everything's going right in your life, you need to worship. Next time you come to church and you're, you're just on cloud nine, you need to worship. What are you saying, Pastor? No matter where you find yourself, when you come into the presence of God, you need to worship. Why? In your worship, he'll restore your joy. In your worship, we regain our spiritual equilibrium. But let me ask you, is it easy? Is it easy? I believe I heard somebody say, no, absolutely not. It is not easy. Let me tell you why. Nothing is more difficult than praising God when everything seems to be going wrong. Amen. Nothing seems to be more difficult than worshiping God when everything's going wrong in our life. But can I tell you, one of the purest forms of worship is praising God even when you don't feel like it. One of the purest forms of worshiping is when you praise God when everything's going wrong. Why? Because it shows God that your worship is not based on your circumstances, but your worship is based on the fact that you love God more than anything and you want to give Him what He deserves. Worship is based on the character of God. I like that. I said, worship is based on the character of God. Oliver Wendell Holmes said it like this. There's two kinds of simplicity. Don't you listen to this. I never had thought about it this way before. There are two kinds of simplicity. Simplicity on the near side of complexity and simplicity on the far side of complexity. Somebody said, well, what's that got to do with this? Listen. In the same sense, I believe there is worship on the near side of suffering, and there is worship on the far side of suffering. Did you hear what I said? There's worship on the near side of what you're going through, and there's worship on the far side of what you're going through. But listen, worship on the far side of suffering helps us rise above our circumstances. It helps us rise above where we find ourselves. You know what that simple statement says to me? That we can and are to worship no matter where we find ourselves. In the most difficult places of life, we're to worship. In the most pleasurable places of life, we're to worship. And everywhere in between, we are to worship. George Barnum Shaw said it this way. He said, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. He he said more, but I won't say that again. People are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. In other words, they don't want to take for themselves that responsibility themselves for where they are. It always has to do with their circumstances. But he went on to say, The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they cannot find them, they make them. I like that. The people that get on in this world are those, if they can't find the circumstances they want, they make them happen. I like that statement. What I'm trying to tell you is we don't have to accept things just like they are. We don't have to accept things in the way they come. We can do something about it, but we can do it through God. And as we worship the Lord, everything begins to change. Amen. 
Worship is reframing our circumstances. It's reframing. It's reframing. Let me just stop and tell you something. If you don't like the way things are in your life, worship God. I just felt like somebody looked at me weird when I said that. You don't like the way things are in your life, worship God. Well, what's that going to do about it? Pastor, I'll tell you what's going to do about it. As you begin to worship God, you are drawn into his presence. As you begin to worship God, you are drawn into a place of the Lord. And as you begin to worship God, can I tell you, and you come into that place of God. And I like it the way it was said this morning in our worship song. You don't even have to ask him for it. You don't even have to begin to talk about it. As you begin to get in the presence of the Lord, he knows where you are. And he knows what you're going through. And he knows what you're facing. And he knows what you're up against. And as you begin to worship and you begin to praise and you begin to magnify God, he begins to reap frame what's going on in your life without you even asking God begins to reframe where you are and here's something for you the most important choice you make every day is your attitude I believe I said this the other day and I got to say it again now if your attitude stinks it makes you stink your attitude's rotten, it makes you rotten. Am I right? And same way with me. Tim, when I wake up in the morning, I got a choice to make. Is my attitude going to be good? my attitude going to be right? Is my attitude going to stink? And let's just get real. Angie, there's some mornings I get up, my attitude ain't always exactly right. Don't frown at me because you've been there too. And they, some mornings I get up, it just can't get bubbly enough. And they, some days I get up, David, it's somewhere in the middle. I'd rather have the bubbly or the middle than the other side. Don't you listen to me. The most important choice you make every day is your attitude. And one of the ways you can set your attitude is by worshiping the Lord. Nothing will change your attitude like a good time of worship. Nothing will change your focus like a good time of worship. And I'm going to preach to me and everybody in this room. And I ain't preaching to the church down the street unless they hear it on, on, on our website later on. But I'm preaching to every one of us in this room. If you get up in the morning and your attitude stinks, get on your knees and start worshiping God. And start magnifying the Lord and He'll change your attitude. I'm preaching to me, David. That's just like I preach to everybody else in the room. But I'm telling you, if you get up in the morning and it ain't where it ought to be, you take a little time to worship God and he'll change your focus. And I got news for you. It'll help you have a better day. I said it'll help you have a better day. Let's go back to something I said earlier. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. Listen to this. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. If you are critical and have a complaining spirit, as I talked about earlier, I can leave this out, but I'm going to say it while I'm here. I got to say it. If you have a critical, complaining spirit, you're going to complain to the day you die. Amen. I hope you still love me because I sure love you. But it's the truth. Amen? 
I got two or three a low amen. 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 I'm going to keep doing it until it gets better. Amen. There you go. Your life will get worse and worse because you'll accumulate more and more negative experiences. Why? Because all you do is complain. But there's a flip side to that coin. If you have a worshipful spirit, everybody say worshipful. If you have a worshipful spirit, life gets better and better. He never said a man would be a bed of roses. He never said it would always be an easy way. He never said it would always be candy and cookies. But I want to tell you, if you have a worshipful spirit, life gets better and better. Why? Because you accumulate positive experiences in your life. And at the end of the day, one way or the other, your focus determines your outcome. And I'm talking to some people in this room. You need to zoom out and look again. I said, you need to zoom out and look again. Why? We have free choice. Every person in this room has free choice. One writer said he believed problems created on a human plane are solved on the supernatural plane. That is what happens when people worship God. Won't you listen to this? That's what happens when people begin to worship and they begin to magnify God. What do you mean? When they begin to worship God, it changes the spiritual atmosphere. But I like this other one. It charges the spiritual atmosphere. When people begin to worship, it changes the spiritual atmosphere. But it charges the spiritual atmosphere. You see, Paul could not have planned this miracle jailbreak that we read about. He couldn't have planned something like this. There was an earthquake. The prisoners are set free, but yet they don't leave. The jailer's going to kill himself, but yet he gets saved, and his entire family gets baptized in the middle of the night. You can't script something like that. You can't lay something like that out. You And listen to me. You cannot plan miracles. Let me say that again. You cannot plan miracles. Why? Because miracles are not something we do ourselves. It's something only God can do. Miracles are not something that we can perform in ourselves. It's only something God can do. But hear me. But when you begin to worship God, I want everybody in this room to hear this. When you begin to worship God in the worst of circumstances, you never know what is going to happen next. When you begin to worship God in the worst place of your life, you never know what's going to happen next. When you begin to worship God, when you feel like you're on the bottom, you never know what's going to happen next. When you begin to worship God, no matter where you find yourself, you never know what's going to happen next. Here's one for you. Worship sets the stage for miracles. Worship sets the stage for miracles. I want you to listen close. I'm fixing to close. When we begin to worship God, it sets in motion Miracle events in our life. Won't you listen to what I just said? When we begin to worship God, I didn't say it set in motion miracles, even though it does. But this is the way I worded it. 
when we begin to worship God, it sets forth miracle events in our life. If you want to start seeing more miracles in your life, start worshiping God more. I'm gonna get a little. I'm gonna get a little close again for a minute. <clears throat> Some people, the only time they ever raise a hand during the weeks when they come in this house on Sunday morning, or they're in Connect Group on Wednesday night, Sunday night, or in or class on Wednesday night. I'm just getting real for a minute. The only time some people ever worship God all week long is when they come into this house. Worship ought to be a daily, continual part of who we are and what we do. Can I remind you of something? Why did God put us here? God didn't put you here on this earth to fulfill that position you're fulfilling at work. God didn't put you here on this earth to fulfill that thing that you feel is most important. The reason God put you here was to what? To worship and to praise the Lord. But then he gave you added things in your life. Husbands, he put you in your home to be the head of the household. That, knows, that doesn't mean to be a dictator. No, sir. It means to be the man of God that he called you to be, to lead your family in the way God wants them to go. Amen? And the place you find yourself in work, if you are blessed there, it's because God has put that blessing upon your life. But I want you to understand something very clearly. The reason God put you on this earth was to worship and to praise the Lord. And listen, when you begin to worship God, it causes spiritual earthquakes that will powerfully change your life. It may not change your circumstances, but it will change your life and it will change who you are. Won't you listen to this? Worship is the way we stay positive in a negative world. Worship is how we stay positive in negative events. Worship is how we stay positive in negative places in our life. Worship is how we stay positive when negative effects take place in us, with us, or around us. What are you trying to say, Pastor? No matter how bad things get, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have an eternity in heaven to look forward to with God. And I want you to understand something. It doesn't matter how bad things get in my life. It doesn't matter how difficult, what kind of things I walk through. There's one thing I always have to look forward to, and that is one day I'm going home to be with God, and I'm going to be in His presence forever and forever more. Amen. Listen to me, somebody. Your hurt may is real. Your pain is real. But God sent me by to tell you, so is heaven real. Your hurt may be real right now, but heaven is real also. And that's where we're going to if we keep following the Lord. Your pain is real right now, but heaven is real also. And that's where we're working toward. The good news is your hurt's temporary. Your pain's temporary. But heaven is eternal. I said heaven is eternal. The key is focusing on the right outcome. Listen to me. Come on, Colin, if you would. Get ready to play. 
Researchers indicate that average person taught, listen to this, this is important. I was going to leave this out. I done left a lot of it out, but I was going to leave this out, but I said I've got to say it. may have shared it with you before, but researchers indicate that the average person talks to him or herself about 50 times a day. Think about it. No, I'm sorry. I said 50, 50,000 times a day. I left the common zeros out. We talk to ourselves on an average of 50,000 times a day. PJ, that's wild, isn't it? Any guess what part of that talk is negative? Any guess what part of that talk is negative? According to the statistics, researchers indicate that 80% of the self-talk to ourselves every day is negative. I don't have a calculator right in front of me, and I ain't quick enough to do it all in my mind, but if I talk to myself, Tim, 50,000 times a day and 80% of it's negative, that ain't good. Are you listening to me? Ain't good. Here's the things we say to ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm preaching to somebody. I'm closing. Listen to me. I'm not good enough. Here's the things we say to ourselves. I'm not smart enough. People don't like me. How many times have you said that? How many times have you felt that way? But here's what happens. We let what's wrong with us keep us from worshiping what's right about God. We let what's so wrong about our life keep us from worshiping what's so right about God. I can't say that enough. We let what's so wrong in our life keep us from worshiping everything that's right about the God we serve. And when we do, we're focused on the wrong realities. But it goes back to something I said twice already. We see what we're looking for. I'm going to tell you what I feel. I'm going to tell you what I sense in my heart. There's people in this room, and I'm not talking to one. I'm talking to many. You walked through some of these very self-same things before you walked in this room today, and I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything you've been looking at lately, and I'm just being honest, everything you've been looking at lately is wrong. What I mean by that is what the enemy's trying to get you to focus on. I'm not talking about everything of your life. I'm talking about this spiritual battle that you're going through. I'm talking about this spiritual place you're in. The enemy's been trying to show you everything wrong in the battle that you're fighting. I'm going to make it clear again. I'm not talking about your whole life. It's the battle you're in. He's trying to show you everything that's wrong in the midst of this battle that you're fighting, in the midst of this struggle that you're going through. And he's trying to keep you focused and zeroed in on everything that's wrong. And can I tell you, we tend to see what we're looking for. A pessimist always sees something bad in a good situation. 
Am I right? But an optimist always sees something good in a bad situation. God sent me by this way to tell you today things are not always the way they appear in your life. Things are not always the way they look. Things are not always the way they seem to appear right now. I want to leave you with this last scripture. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, New King James Version, Paul gives us some priceless advice here. And I want you to listen to it. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy. He said, meditate on these things. With everything that was said in the first part of that verse, I wanted to say the last. If there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I want you to stand to your feet. Meditate on these things. I feel the Spirit of God in this room.